I wasn't terribly surprised. I thought it made sense dramaturgically. Hello and welcome into another episode of Dramaturgically. I'm your host, Stephen Clark, and finally, I'm happy to say, after a bit of an impromptu two-month uh, hiatus for the podcast, that um, I'm back and I'm really excited to take the podcast and continue to, to be growing in an organic way, in the way that we that we were for the first uh, couple months of the podcast's journey. Um, I had to step away for a bit because of just some work commitments and things getting crazy in life, as they always do from time to time, as we all know. Um, but I'm really glad to say that I'm back and going to be releasing episodes at a weekly cadence. Um, and I think that's going to be a sustainable method for the podcast going forward. And uh, I'm really, really excited um, to get stuck into a whole bunch of corners of, of cinema, from classics to foreigns to new stuff being released right now, and cover all bases. Um, and yeah, I've just um, I've been talking recently to a few people that have been really excited to jump on as guests as well, including um, people like Mia, who's also already been on, on the podcast many times, um, but some other friends as well. So looking forward to a bit of an exciting era for the podcast as, yeah, it continues to grow. Uh, now for our first episode back, I thought, why don't, why don't we wind the clock all the way back to the very first movie star, if, if you can call him that, I suppose. Um, probably wouldn't have, uh, probably wouldn't have maybe got the accolades that he deserved in his lifetime, but, but certainly, certainly uh, in the history books of cinema, um, this man stands heads and shoulders above the rest, uh, despite his, his small, (laughs) his small stature in real life. I'm of course, of course, talking about the incredible Charlie Chaplin. Now today we're going to be looking at one of the lesser spoken about films of his I've seen. Um, so, you know, everyone, you know, likes to talk about, uh, city lights and modern times and the great dictator. Um, even, even the kid, I think gets a shout for being sort of maybe the, the, the first time that he truly, uh, sort of mastered the character, his infamous character of the Tramp. Um, but today, I'm really, really excited to talk about one of his lesser spoken about works that I think personally is potentially his masterpiece, and that is 1925's The Gold Rush. Goldrush follows the story of a lone prospector who ventures into Alaska looking for gold during the height of the American gold rush. He gets mixed up with some burly characters and falls in love with the beautiful Georgia. He tries to win her heart with his singular charm and win his fortune with his singular mindset. Now, this is absolutely fantastic film. I've only just seen it for the first time and I can I can assure you that I, I personally feel like it's it is so ahead of its time for the era. I mean, you can watch it today, almost a hundred years ago from its release, and you will have just as good as time as the people watching it in the cinema for the very first time. Um, the, 
there's so much to be said about Charlie Chaplin's work and his his authorship and his uh, understanding of physical comedy, um, but also his mastery of the cinematic form at such an early stage in the cinematic form's journey to becoming uh, an art form that is respected and has been mastered. And Charlie Chaplin truly was one of the very first masters of the form. There are so many things about this film that, that are just cinematic gold, <laughs> pardon the pun, uh, but, but I, I, th- I think where we have to start is of course his character, the tramp, you know, he, by, by this point in his career, 1925, he's released, um, the kid and the idol class, you know, so he's, he's sort of established this character as a bit of a beloved character. Um, he, he sort of represents, I think he represents maybe the downtrodden in the world, you know, the unfortunate ones of us, the, the ones that sort of seem to always be out of luck. Um, and I think that really spoke to the American public in 1925. Obviously, those were hard times um, for everyone post-World War One between the wars. And um, I think that Charlie Chaplin managed to, to create a character who whose endearing spirit and uh, sort of <laughs> gentle cowardliness and his... But also his, like, never-die attitude and his... his his endearing nature um, that just really encapsulated uh, what it was to be an American citizen during that era. And I think that is the true mastery of understanding humanity and reflecting that in your art is to to look at your society of which you are embedded in and can you reflect that in your art. I think Charlie Chaplin, by creating his character, just as much as any of his films, by creating that character um, at that time is is remarkable and it is truly a testament to his artistry and um you know a lot of people will will talk about him as as a comedian but i think as as an artist i think charlie chaplin deserves more respect put on his name um for many reasons which i'll get more into as we as we continue to go but just off the top there just really wanted to speak about the tramp and and why the tramp resonates so much um i think I, th- I think what I particularly love about the big three actors of this of this silent era, you know, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and Harold Lloyd, is that they all sort of represent different parts of society and American culture, and they all sort of, watching all three of their films work alongside each other really, really well, because despite the fact that people might lump them into, you know, the silent era actors, and, you know, might think that just because, you know, a lot of what they do is comedy-based... Um, that they are very similar, and there are obviously similarities in the way that they, the way that they make their films and 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 lead their films as as starring men, but in a lot of ways they're very different. Um, you know, for for me, Harold Lloyd was my was sort of my gateway drug into into silent cinema, and I I, I loved watching him because he represented to me the everyman. Um, you know, he was this sort of uh, awkward, uh, bumbling, um, but but very uh, idea-filled sort of sort of man, and you know he 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 did have that same downtrodden uh, unluckiness that maybe Charlie Chaplin has, um, but it but in some ways sort of lived a far more regular life as his characters, and and his characters sort of were portraying uh, regular men in irregular situations, but but familiar situations in the same way, um, whereas Charlie Chaplin uh, takes uh, what is essentially you know the 
the the downtrodden of society and and places them into into these really really unique situations um and and reflects a period of of america's culture um at that point in time which he is he's poking fun at essentially um whereas buster keaton um it represents more of the the, the physicality um a bit more of the the the, the genius in a, in a lot of ways um so yeah i just really like that they all bring bring different elements to their characters and what charlie chaplin does here in the gold rush is arguably some of his finest work as the tramp so straight off the bat obviously like i said this uh this film uh introduces us to charlie chaplin's the tramp as he's walking uh into alaska and you know he's he's, he's followed his dreams looking for the gold um and he's joining a whole host of 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 hundreds of other people that flocked as well. And this is what's so great about this film is constantly it is uh, communicating to us the 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 craziness of this sort of um, subculture of, of gold hunting and gold chasing. Um, I'm from Australia and it, it's a, it was a very, very big thing over here as well. And people, people, obviously people aren't alive today, but they still talk about it. And history books reflect really... Um, really blatantly about the the types of people um that would sort of flock to this um you know these are people that wanted to make fortunes overnight um were willing to do just about anything to get it and i think that harbored sort of a dangerous um but yet adventurous and sort of fun um landscape for for a lot of people and um it was sort of a sort of a unique time and place to be because people were popping up and becoming millionaires overnight and, and you were allowed to dream. And I think that this film captures that feeling of yearning for, for that dream quite a bit. Um, all while being hilariously funny. I mean, so the, the, the first situation, which, um, which the tramp finds himself in is, is, is trapped in a, in, in a cabin with, uh, with two other men who are also, um, hiding out from, from a bit of a winter storm. Um, and, just the scenarios that, that inhabit um, from that situation when they're all there to to essentially find their own selfish fortune. Um, it's just hilarious. And and he manages to embed this as well with with a, a romance subplot, which is, is actually very sweet and endearing as as most of his romance plots tend to be um, from, from my experience of seeing his films. Um, and, and also like give some sort of like decent... Uh, representation for for female characters of the time, I thought. I mean, George is definitely no pushover um, as, as the love interest, and is um, pretty well adept at not only um, standing up for herself against the the vile men that sort of are inhabiting her existence, but also um, sort of not afraid to poke fun at the tramp as well for his sort of romantic uh, nature and his sort of like lusting over her as well. So I thought there was there was some really smart um, pokes. Um, at, at men in general, um, um, from her character, which, which I thought was great. I thought it was, um, quite unique for the time. Um, yeah. And pro- probably, probably I should talk about, there's a, there's a couple of real key famous moments in this film. Um, that, that first scene. So the film opens and we see, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of, of extras walking up a mountain, heading their way to the gold rush, which depicted this sort of influx of people. And, and that was actually 600 extras. Um, I was reading up a bit on the history of the production of this film. And yeah, Chaplin, um, Chaplin ensured that 600 extras were actually paid to, to make that shot. That's no, that's no oil painting. That's no, 
um, puppet work that's actually that's actually 600 extras, um, which I thought was really impressive for the time as well. And um, just goes to show that it's just one of those small details which, which makes it such an epic shot and such a, a memorable film for moments like that. Um, one of the more famous gags that Charlie Chaplin is known for is sort of the dancing potato gag, which is in this film as well and is great and is placed perfectly into the film to just give you that endearing nature of who the tramp is and, and how his little romantic mind works. Um, and on, on top of this as well, there's the, the famous sequence towards the end, which I won't spoil too much because I don't go into spoilers in these film reviews. Um, but the, the, basically where the cabin is hanging half off the edge and there's some excellent work um, that would rival the, the tipping sets of Inception and, and other such films that utilize this sort of um, angular camera work for the period. Um, I just thought it was really, really impressive and definitely would have inspired a lot of filmmakers um, that have gone on to do similar things uh, ever since. Now, I should mention that I did watch this film not in the original 1925 version, um, but in the updated 1942 version. Um, so Chaplin, um, as they sort of exited the silent era, really wanted to ensure that his films remained relevant. And so he, he, he went back to a couple of them and sort of added in some additional music, sound effects, and um, a, in this case, a narrative uh, overture for the film, um, which... Which I, I definitely would understand people being a little divisive around, you know, like taking the purity away from maybe these films. Um, but in this case, I found it to actually enhance the watching experience. Um, absolutely, the the I I, th I think it's I think it's no secret to say, and I don't think I'm breaking any cardinal sin here to say that um, at times the 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 text overlays um, in silent films can be distracting can take you out of uh, the films um, as they serve a necessary evil to deliver the plot. Um, by going back and narrating over some of those moments and, and cutting out the, the text frames, um, this film definitely moves a lot faster. Um, I believe that it loses about 15 minutes from the original runtime, um, just from some quick editing work and um, removing those text overlays as well. So it does go to show um, just how tight... Um, these films are and this film absolutely flies by I mean I could see myself rewatching this a lot because I just just the time just absolutely flew by and I I enjoyed every second of it to be honest and I would highly highly recommend it to anyone that's looking um, to find um, some of the purest Charlie Chaplin work and um, this definitely represents that even with the 1942 version um, in fact I think I think I really respected the fact that um, Chaplin um, rather than sort of uh, taking a, a stable stance um, and sort of hard approach, hardline approach to saying no, um, silent cinema is the only way to go. He seemed to have um, in some ways embraced um, the technology aspects of the evolving cinema landscape. Um, as his films progressed, obviously they, they used more and more um, sounds um, from, I believe, modern times having some sound work to... Um, the Great Dictator obviously having sound in it as well. So um, him going back post uh, Great Dictator and looking at something like the Gold Rush and looking at it a way to enhance it and bring it up to speed for modern audiences of, of that time, um, I think was really innovative and um, just goes to show that uh, Charlie Chaplin was someone who um, was never happy just to sit by and let himself be swept in into the artistic uh, 
uh, wayside essentially. So really, really enjoyed that and would definitely recommend watching that version if I was someone who was looking to get into um, silent cinema but potentially doesn't want the classic, classic experience of the text overlays. And if that doesn't bother you, um, then that's great too. So yeah, I, I think... I think I'll just quickly wrap up by saying, yeah, yeah, this is a, the, yeah, th- this is a film that is is so so funny. Um, I think it could be, it could equally serve as a family film, but also just as a film for people that want a sort of historical satire on the gold rush. I mean, it is it is full with societal commentary. It is full with really clever, um, and poignant sort of uh character references to the types of, of people, um that inhabited that era and location and um all above that uh, just being absolutely hilarious i mean there's a scene where uh charlie and his co-star um max swain i believe uh eat a shoe um there are hallucination scenes i mean there are some really really great hilarious artistry on work here and um it's definitely worth your time to seek out well, guys, thank you again for joining me as I return to the podcast at very, very at last. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, um, feel free to leave me um, a follow and a comment on my letterboxd um, and subscribe to uh, my Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening uh, for more episodes as I'll be dropping them uh, weekly on Mondays from now on. So thanks again for joining, guys, and have a great day.